0: I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. you got to open your heart.
1: Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. Number five, number five, yeah. What is leadership like in today's football world?
0: Oh, we're back. Another edition of Not Enough Philly Sports Talk Show. I am Philadelphia Daily News columnist David Murphy, joined by Mr. Mike Sielski. And I think if you were to sum up what we are going to talk about today, it would be the two words, what now?
1: (laughs) We've gotten through the NBA draft. We've even gotten through the NHL draft, which every time I mention it, our colleague Bob Ford says, there's a hockey draft. Uh, And so now with NBA Summer League ahead of us, I guess. uh, You never
0: answered the question. There is a hockey draft. Is that correct? There is a hockey draft. And when would that be? Uh, it was last Friday. Oh, Friday and Saturday. I'm just kidding. Nolan Patrick was the guy that they. Stalked. He was. Yeah. But you know what? People are already turning off. We've already talked too much about hockey. People are already turning. Yeah, off. they are. <laughs> we Sorry, puckheads. We were. Uh, we're going to talk about the Sixers. Andre Iguodala is a name that has popped up randomly. Crazy. I would guess. I would. I would guess the agent is turning in some late hours trying to drum up a market. For, I would say so. as uh, Because as Keith Pompey wrote today, it makes no sense from the Sixers' perspective.
1: It doesn't make any sense from Andre Iguodala's perspective. Like, why would you leave a team, as Keith wrote, why would you leave a team that's won two of the last three championships and came within a win of uh, pulling off three in a row and go to a franchise that's averaged 18 wins over the last four years?
0: I mean, I think, I think Andre Iguodala, if I were to read the smoke screens... Andre Andre Iguodala wants to stay in Golden State, but his agent, yeah, wants to get as much as he can out of Golden State sure. and make it seem that he, he at least needs to portray the possibility that Andre Iguodala gets his socks knocked off elsewhere. Yeah, and I guess <laughs> Philadelphia is a narrative you could at least pedal to the Warriors. Maybe I don't know.
1: I don't know. He doesn't fit from a basketball standpoint. I really. mean, from
0: the Sixers' perspective, there's already, you know like you already have Robert Covington, right? Uh, I mean, that would essentially seal Robert Covington's. Oh, if you, were, right, Sixers, if you were departure from right. If you were to sign, it, exactly. Like you don't have room for two of those guys. No, really.
1: and Covington's younger, and yeah, you know. I
0: mean, without was better, but it just yeah, doesn't. You know, in terms of like the money that you would have to outlay, right. it doesn't make sense from this team's perspective.
1: No, no, it, does not. it um, does
0: not. But as as we saw up in New York, making sense is not always. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what did I tell you about the craziness up there last week? What did I say? So
0: Phil Jackson finally got fired, which. W- would seem to have been his intent all along, given how unhinged he's been. <laughs>
1: he certainly acted that way, like this—like he was, you know, a spy or a mole who was just, you know, a virus who was put into the computer system of the New York Knicks just to disrupt everything.
0: At least we know the Dolans are paying attention. There must not have been yeah. a gig today.
1: <laughs> that's true. And I then mean, the
0: Phillies—the Phillies are just—they won a game last night. We're recording this on Wednesday, uh, but man.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny, as it as it's turning out, um, you know, the the one, I mean, I remember thinking back to the winner, and the one big concern, I mean, everybody kind of knew that they were going to be pretty bad, I don't think anybody knew they were going to be this bad, no. um, and the, the one concern that always kind of popped out at me, among all others, was that, boy, Aaron Nola's arm, you know, I'd be worried about him either not pitching well or being shut down or whatever. And knock on wood for him. At this point, he's been, you know, arguably the brightest starting pitching uh, star, so to speak, uh, of the season so far. He looked, he, you know, he looked pretty good again last night.
0: So, we'll get to that. Adubel Herrera seems to be on the Jimmy Rollins path (laughs) in this town. (laughs) Spacey, yeah, he's
1: uh, he's become a favorite. He's become kind of the um, the lightning rod, the the. The place where all your complaints go.
0: Right, and I think I'm going to write a little bit. I have to. I have to write uh, something for tomorrow's paper. Tomorrow being Thursday, and this is. I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this without swearing. It's, it's <laughs> not a very good time to be a columnist no. in the city of Philadelphia. No, it's like it's, a bit, it's brutal, man. It's. I've bad. been struggling the past couple weeks.
1: I have too, and and I was saying this to somebody the other day. The problem with it is. That you can never just go to an event and exactly. just write just what happens at the event. You, you, you know, whereas let's say five or six years ago, you go to a Phillies game on the on the right night and you just say, Oh,
0: just Roy Halida
1: Roy Holiday's tremendous. Let me just write that. I'm here. gonna write off a game. I'm yeah, gonna write off the game. Exactly. Like, the
0: games the games are so irrelevant right now. Yeah. And right. and you can tell I get kind of one hand the times this summer. And it's crazy to me that the summer's like Flying by time is like it's flying by or standing still. Uh is that a quote from something? No, I'm asking. I'm oh. asking do you feel like time it's is flying, flying by? by. Yeah. Like it's it's scary to me. Mm. Where's my life gone?
1: I, Murph, this this is not a topic that we can we can delve into in enough depth during this podcast. Like, this is
0: next year will be the ten year anniversary of the Phillies winning the World Series. Yeah.
1: Isn't that crazy? Yeah. You sound like um uh what's his name? Russell Hammond and Almost Famous. 12 years from now, it'll be 1984. Think about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's me. Um, but O'Double, like, O'Double Herrera is very low on the list of problems with the Philadelphia Phillies, I would argue. I yeah. think they have a lot of concerns apart from whether O'Double Herrera is paying attention or not.
1: Yeah, I, I think that this is one of those things that I'm sure, again, I'm sure it happens in all sports cities, And maybe because we live here, it seems more acute in Philadelphia. But it's one of those things where because it's in front of your face all the time, that it seems like it's a bigger problem than it actually is, um, if that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. You know, like we can see him running through the stop
0: sign. Right.
1: We can see him. Although
0: I still think that was... Samuel, Wells' fault. I mean, he, he was waving him around right until he
1: yeah, right up until the moment he about two steps from third base.
0: But I think like that's like so anyway. To fill people in, Aduble, in case you haven't been paying attention to the Phillies, Adubel Herrera got benched right on yes. Tuesday, night, or at least he was not in the lineup on Tuesday night. Yes, ran through, made a made a horrendous out on the base paths. Uh, although I don't I don't know that he blew through a stop sign the way it has been portrayed. Mm. Like. Like I thought, Samwell was a little late with yeah. his with his with his stop. He
1: also apparently disregarded a "don't steal" sign.
0: Which that was pretty. That That's sounds pretty, pretty blatant. Yeah. Uh, and Matt Gelb had a good. Uh, I like her. I mean, he's very honest. Yeah. Um, and Ge- Matt Gelb has a good story in the Philadelphia Inquirer. I don't know if it was in Tuesday's Inquirer, or Wednesday's Inquirer. It was in the Daily News too, wasn't it? Or in the in the Daily News as well. Um, and on Philly dot com. And he talked to Herrera, and Herrera essentially said, yeah, like, you know. I don't don't concentrate all the time. Exactly, I don't concentrate all the time. But it's hard to concentrate when your team stinks, (laughs) you know?
1: Yeah, and, you know, you can debate about how much responsibility then falls on Pete McCannon as the manager to make him concentrate. You can debate how much... This happens on crappy teams. Yeah.
0: And it happens during the course of a baseball season. Yeah. And the, the, the thing is, you... Like it would happen to everybody at, at one point mm-hmm. or another except maybe Chase Utley, you yeah. know? And like the problem is we we just like it's like displaced aggression where like people wanna believe that the Phillies stink on their own accord and can turn it around. Right and like Aduba Herrera looks like someone where oh if he would just pay attention more, this is what's wrong with this team. They're you know, yeah. they they have no discipline. It's like, no, what's wrong with this team is they stink.
1: Yeah, they don't have enough talent. Right. Uh, so like
0: like and in Gelb's uh Story, he mentioned this, this rant Freddie Galvis went on about how, you know, but it's f- like Freddie Galvis is the problem with this team, <laughs> you know, like, like not getting a, like you can only make a mistake on the base pads if you're on base to begin with. Yeah. So, like, I think there's a lot. It's very easy to lose the forest for the trees. Right. Over the course of a baseball season. Right. Freddie Freddie there's 162 Fre- trees. Freddie
1: Galvis is a major league player and on certain teams he might be a starter. What he's not going to be is a starter and as important to... He's an eight-hole hitter yeah, if he's a starter. If he's a starter. But he's a really important player on this team, which tells you the state of this team. Mm-hmm. Which is that he's if he's the leader and he's the guy who's kind of trying to hold everything together, then your team is not in good shape. Exactly. Um, it's just not. And, look, I get it. I get that this is the only thing, really, that we have going in the town now in terms of actual sporting events to watch, unless you're like our buddy John Gonzalez and a total NBA summer league junkie, and you know you can't wait to watch Markel Fultz in you know, Utah and Las Vegas. Um, but And I, I get that, that you want something entertaining and fun to watch on a night-to-night basis. But that doesn't change the fact that the Phillies are what they are, that they need better players. And while, yeah, Odubel Herrera should play harder and he shouldn't space out in the middle of a game uh, and all those sorts of things... Uh, it's, it's kind of a function of the reality of where they are. Exactly. It just is. And y- you kind of have to ride it out. It goes back to that, uh, that line I've, I've quoted from our favorite former Sixers executive, Sam Hinkie, which is that you know if, if you're entering a war and one side has bazookas and the other side has pea shooters, it doesn't matter how much the side with the pea shooters and the slingshots want to win. Exactly. They're not going to win. And the only way that they're going to win is if they take the necessary steps to get the you know, the weapons to win. And that you don't know how long that's going to take. It may not take two days. It may take a year. It may take two years. And that was his point with rebuilding the Sixers, and I think that's the same point that you, Murph, have made in print with respect to the Phillies. You know, the fact that their farm system was as bad and as barren as it was for a decade you know, is is the overriding problem here that, that Andy McPhail and Matt Klintak have to overcome. And it doesn't mean that those guys are perfect in what they're doing. It doesn't mean that every move they're making is working out. Clearly, they're not. But you also have to appreciate how far they're going to have to go to get this team back to respectability.
0: So the Sixers, we talked about, let's, let's run down. Uh, it's, been, it's been a crazy week here in NBA. Uh, yes. NBA land. It's been a
1: crazy, like, three or four hours as, as we record this at one thirty on Wednesday.
0: Uh you're referring to Phil Jackson and Chris Paul. I am. I believe. Um I'm interested to see how Chris Paul works out with the Rockets. It's it's uh I just saw a stat somebody tweeted James Harden and, and Chris Paul were both in the top ten in the NBA in time of possession. Yeah. And Harden more than anybody else I've seen besides Russell Westbrook. That offense runs. It's it's through Harden exactly, and it looks great running through Harden. So it's 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 going to be interesting to see. Uh, I mean, clearly the Rockets would not have done this if James Harden was not on board, right? And and keep in mind, James Harden wasn't off the ball player in his during his first exactly three or four years in the four or five years in the NBA.
1: And there's been reporting um, by ESPN's Brian Windhorst, I think among others, that. Given salary cap implications and given, I think what Daryl Morey, the Rockets GM, wants to do, that there's another move coming, Mm. Um, another like like a Paul George. Apparently, that's the name that's been floated. That would be awesome. That would be, you know, everybody bemoans this, you know, super team trend. Mm. I kind of like it. I kind of like the
0: the and everyone else likes it. The the NBA Finals had the highest rating since the Jordan years. Because guess what? Basketball is beautiful to watch when it's played at its highest level. It is, and even though that series was a blowout, it was a great series to watch, from my opinion. Mm-hmm. I, um, I agree with you completely. Like it was, it was, it, it was just basketball played at its highest level, and you forgot what the score was at times. Yeah, you know, because you had two teams. I mean, the Cavs played great that series. Mm-hmm. You know, they played a, they played as well as you can yeah. play. They just lost to a better team, right? And uh, you know, it's a, it's a lot like those like. Um, like the super teams are not a new phenomenon in the NBA either. I no. mean, to this, I think the exposure is just greater. You know, yeah, like I agree. With I you. mean, was, like is Paul George really a bigger star than Clyde Drexler was? You know, like <laughs> is is, I mean, Barkley was moved all around. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, that's right. I mean, those those th- that, that Utah Jazz team was was was. Yeah, Stockton super Malone, team. Hornacek
1: was an all-star yeah. caliber player. What's interesting, I... you, you Now, it's a
0: completely different style of game. I'm not is. saying that the well, Jazz would beat the Rockets. Right, but
1: well, that gets to what I was going to say, which is if, if you or anybody else has been watching this really, really long and probably too long and too detailed 30-for-30 uh, 30 30 series that ESPN's been doing about the Celtics-Lakers rivalry in the 80s. Yeah, there both been, super teams. Yeah, th- there's been a lot of discussion of late, um, you know, Amongst NBA fans, media, players, ex-players about, oh, okay, well, would the Lakers of the 80s have beaten the Warriors of today and those sorts of things. And um, what's interesting to me is that that question really isn't interesting to me, because if you look at those players back then, you know, it struck me totally last night, like Larry Bird over his first four years in the NBA like, never shot better than 30% from three-point right. range. It was crazy. And he didn't take all that might, all that many. It was only until he was in the league four or five years that he started to shoot 40%. But my point is not that those teams would beat these teams or vice versa. My point is, if you watch the highlights from those games in the mid-'80s, you do see a similar style of play. You see team-oriented, fast-breaking, fun basketball to watch. You can understand why at that stage in the NBA's development, so to speak, that it was so popular because you had Bird and Magic and the Sixers teams of those days, um, you know, with terrific players sharing the ball. You know, that Lakers fast break, even the Celtics could run with just about anybody, with Dennis Johnson and Ainge and Bird. Um, And then you go through a time where the the basketball isn't as pretty, where it's the mid-90s and it's, you know, the Knicks and the Heat and, you know, The Jordan Bulls, while Jordan is incredibly good, it's him standing with the ball at the top of the key and, you know, dribbling around somebody or pulling up for a jump shot, an iso ball. And now we're back in a stage where the basketball itself, if you watch it closely and you don't just dismiss it like, oh, I can't watch it anymore, the basketball now is beautiful. It is.
0: Now, like, but it's only started in, like, the last four or five years. Yeah, with the Spurs and the Warriors, I'd say. Yeah. Um and the Rockets play great basketball too. They they're f- they're fun to watch. The Bucks play a great, great game. Yeah, you're a big Bucks guy. I am. I am. Um, yeah, you wrote a you wrote a column today. I forget how you even mentioned what, what you even mentioned the Bucks in reference. Oh uh, well, you... I
1: would written about how I wrote about how the fact that neither Darius Sarge nor jo- nor Joel Embiid won the NBA Rookie of the Year award was in all likelihood pleasing to a lot of people both in and around the league who still resent the Sixers for the process um, and one of the people who's kind of um, taking shots at the Sixers was the Bucks owner. Um, and the reason I pointed out that you haven't heard these similar complaints about the Bucks is that the Bucks went about their rebuild, quote-unquote, the right way, in that they had the Greek freak fall to them with the number 15th pick. They were genuinely awful one year and got Jabari Parker. And, you know, then they pluck um, – I can't believe I'm drawing a... um, Chris Middleton. Yeah, they get Chris Middleton. They get Brogan in the second round last year, and he goes on and wins the Rookie of the Year. And, you know, now they're they're possibly a force to be reckoned with, which is fine, but the point is kind of the hypocrisy of that. Like, okay, is that their skill and their scouting, or is that just kind of some measure of good fortune and just being genuinely bad as opposed to what the Sixers did, which was saying, hey, the system is set up this way. We're going to take advantage of the system the way it's set up and go ahead and try and stop us. Yeah, I
0: don't think there's an either or necessarily. Um, no. You know, I think, like, yeah, we've already done the whole tank. Yeah, bit. yeah. We, know, um, we
1: need to revisit it.
0: But um, what, was, what was I about to say? I don't know. You haven't said it yet. Uh, but Chris Paul, Chris Paul so yes. what, what do you think of, how does that change the complexion of? The NBA right now. Well, I
1: mean, I, th- I think it shifts even more um, the relative balance of power until, until another team in the East proves otherwise. It continues to shift the balance of power to the West, not just because of the Warriors, but because of now the Rockets. Um, you know, the Spurs are still going to be there, presumably. The um, Timberwolves now. The Timberwolves with, you know, Cat and Wiggins and, you know, what they could be building. Um, you know, I'm I'm curious to see... Who, and Jimmy Butler. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm curious to see who rises out of the East to challenge Cleveland because I don't know that Cleveland's... I mean, l- let's face it, the discussion is, you know, how much longer is LeBron going to be there? I mean, what happens a year or two from now when he becomes a free agent? Does he go to the Lakers? Which continues that kind of... It would seem to continue that push of, of talent and star power to the West. Um, is Milwaukee going to rise? Is... Uh, are the Celtics going to kind of take that next yeah, step? I
0: think that's the, key, the that's the biggest question of the offseason is what are this like what, what's the Celtics next step? Yeah, because it seems like everyone's kind of moving right now. Yeah, and the chips are starting to fall, and and they're they're in a tough spot in one in one regard. I think it's hard to build a team around Isaiah Thomas. I do too. Uh, I think he's great. I think he he played as well as AI mm-hmm. um, this year, and I think the numbers bear that out. And I think the Celtics the Celtics. Uh, I mean, he had a better team around him, probably than AI you know, ever did. Yeah, ever did. But but he he was on that level in terms of being unstoppable. Yes. But he's not a great defensive player. He's very small, and he and and he need, he kind of plays that ISO yeah. game that that, that uh, I mean, let's face tough to build around. Right. Let's AD.
1: face it. That's why they didn't draft Markel Fultz and didn't want to draft them. Right. You know, because if you're going to have another guard who presumably, you know, wants the ball in his hands a good bit, where does that leave you with Thomas? Um, who pretty much needs the ball in his hands all the time, so yeah, I mean that's interesting, and you know I mean the sixers eventually will factor into this i i, I just i don't think it'll be next season i mean i think
0: yeah well, so what what do you what is a realistic expectation for for the sixers team next year
1: i think if if everybody stays healthy, i think up up to forty wins would be reasonable I think anything beyond that would be Startlingly positive I think Staying in the 20s Would be regarded as Flatline or
0: oh, Step back It'll be very hard for them I would think To stay I would think in so too Yeah The one I mean Because
1: the, they won 28 last year With Embiid only playing 31 games and the, the guy
0: who makes most sense For this team I'd be very surprised If it doesn't happen just, just because I can't imagine him Being worth more To any other team Is J.J. Rack. Yeah. Uh, and that's been the case A buddy of mine, Ben Patchin, that that I play ball with sometimes, we were talking about like months ago about Mm -hmm. what would make sense for this team way before the lottery or anything like that. And like, give JJ Reddick two years and $60 million. Like, what difference does it make? Yeah. You know, exactly. Like, I see the latest scuttlebutt. And again, I don't want this podcast to become dated when JJ Reddick actually does sign somewhere. But although I guess that can't happen until, no, can't have
1: until, yeah, Sunday or Monday, I guess.
0: Um, so we might get at least forty-eight hours of run out of this, uh, but like the Nets are the other team that are supposed to quote unquote make a hard push for JJ Redick. Like, what sense does JJ Redick make for the Nets? Like, what, what is he going to do for that team? Nothing. You know, like nothing. What this gets in the world is he going to do for that, that team?
1: This gets to the point I made in my column today, which is that the reason, part of the reason that the process was so despised, is because it compromised. Kind of the unspoken agreement amongst teams. Yeah, but here's in the my league. thing. Here's my thing about the process.
0: Like at least the Sixers were trying to lose. Phil Jackson's just an idiot. Right,
1: right. <laughs> That's know? I completely. Like the agree Lakers are just. I I have written that. I completely agree with you that in the in the twisted world of the NBA, trying to win and being really bad at it, it being totally incompetent is. More highly regarded than doing what Sam Hinkie did.
0: Like if you hire Phil Jackson as your general manager, you're tanking. Yes. Whether you like to call it that or not. Right. You're just you're just too dumb to realize it.
1: Exactly. I I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And and that's my point is that that's the tacit agreement that Hinkie and the Sixers broke, which is you can be bad as long as you try to be good, quote unquote. Around try It sounds st-
0: like a uh, 80s like. Uh- Yacht rock song, or, yeah. or 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 like a uh, Gloria Estefan song. Like you, you can, can be, be bad, like uh, Jim Steinman yeah. from
1: Meatloaf, or something like that.
0: <laughs> Baby, you can be bad. Yeah, as, as long as, as, as you're trying, trying to be, be good.
1: good. <laughs> um, but that's just
0: it. Is little they? synthesizer in there?
1: Yeah, you can uh, you can be the Brooklyn Nets and sign JJ Redick, and produce a, a more competent quote unquote team in the here and now. Mm. But that move does absolutely nothing for you to make you a, a better basketball team in the long term and give you any staying power and move you forward in any regard toward winning a championship. And Henke kind of rejected that out of hand and said, like, I'm not here to, um, you know, to play this entertainment game where we go out and sign uh, you know, a Carmelo Anthony or trade for a Carmelo Anthony like the Knicks did and and say, well, now we're trying to win a championship. No, all, all you did was spend a lot of money on a guy who's not going to get you anywhere. And rather than do that, I'm gonna we're gonna lose games and get draft picks because that's the way the system is set up. And to me, kudos for him for exposing that.
0: So I think JJ Redick. I mean, he's just the perfect fit for this. Yeah, team right absolutely. Now. I mean, I don't know how good a defensive player he will prove to be, but you don't necessarily need um, if you got defense Embi- out of that. Spot. If you
1: if Embiid stays healthy and you've got him on the floor for 30 to 35 minutes. You're going to have an elite rim protector. Mm -hmm. If Simmons stays healthy, and again, these are big ifs. We all acknowledge that. You're going to have somebody who's 6'10", who in theory, and we'll see how this plays out again, but in theory can guard on the perimeter and down low. So, you know, you have Covington, who's a terrific wing defender. Um, You know, this is not going to be a perfect team this season, but you'll be able to get by with J.J. Reddick on defense. And then what he would give you on offense is just somebody, you know, scurrying around the perimeter, getting open looks for threes and knocking them down 45% of the time. That would open everything up for Embiid or Simmons or, you know, whoever else might be out there, Fultz, um, whatever the case may be.
0: I'm curious what kind of player, Jared, Jake, the guy we have in that. Yeah. You know, Jared Bayless did sign a three-year, what, $27 million contract yes. with this team. and And I think... Not positive, but I think Brian Colangelo is the only person I've ever heard speak his name, <laughs> and he always does consistently. He, does. he always yeah. throws he always throws Jared in there. Yeah, and and I always have to like stop and remind myself who Jared is. <laughs> the
1: subway, but, uh, the subway ad guy slash. Uh, but if you
0: look, I mean, Jared Bayless did have a nice season uh, in 2015 16. I mean, there's a reason why. The Sixers signed him. Yeah. And I'm just more am he's just kind of like He's more of a I mean, curiosity. It's, it's not like he has a chronic back injury or anything like that. Like he hurt his wrist and and now he's gonna be back and be you would think the same player right. as he's always been, right? Right. That and I mean he shot he shot forty percent from from three point range in, in uh 2015. Forty two percent from three point range. And, in and I think uh,
1: our our friend Derek Bodner pointed out that the more threes he shoots, the better he shoots them. Right. You know, it's not it's usually it can be the opposite with a guy who's not a particularly good shooter. Bayless, but the more he takes
0: him, the more he makes him. And he's only he's t- he's only he's only 29. At the same time, he's kind of a weird player. I mean, he shot 31% from three-point range a year before. You know, mm. like, he's kind of been all over the map. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and the Bucks didn't need him, I guess. Um, and they were already capped. They're, yeah. they're pretty capped out. But, um, I mean, he's a factor, you know. I mean, he's better than anything they had in the starting line. Yeah. Like, like, he's better than Gerald Henderson. Yes. Um, so... I'll be very interested to see what this team looks like. I actually am really looking forward to I am too. October.
1: I am too. Um, you know, I, I think what the, the good part about the, the promise of all the losing, um, or, you know, for these various franchises over the last couple of years has always been, okay, the excitement or the curiosity about what they're going to look like when things start to take shape. Mm. And that's where the Sixers are now. They're a little bit ahead, I think, of the, even the Flyers um, in this regard, and certainly ahead of the Phillies. Um, where you start to go, okay, now I can sort of see what this looks like, and now I want to see how it it plays out, you know, in real time and in reality. And that's what you get, you know, unless Brent Simmons breaks his foot again or Joel Embiid, you know, hurts his knee. That's what we're going to start to see, right? Um, and that's fun. Like that's that that's more fun than like waiting for pardon me, Reese Hoskins or um, Scott Kingery to get up here from Lehigh Valley and play for the Phillies and just kind of waiting for them to, you know, you want to see these guys.
0: Yeah. Were you surprised that Cameron Perkins got the call for the Phillies and not Nick Williams? No, I wasn't. Why not?
1: Because I think it was a very definitive no, Mike no, Sealski. No, because Matt Clentak
0: Remind me to tell you about my bike ride over here too. Okay. Anyway.
1: Um I think places a very high value – he said this – he plays a very high value on guys who get on base, guys who walk, guys who are selective at the plate. And if they don't think Nick Williams is there yet in terms of his pitch selectivity, which he clearly is not, um, then maybe you you reward the guy who's 26 or 27 and is putting up the kind of numbers at AAA um, that you – Believe lend themselves to a shot at the major leagues, and the fact that you know, I mean Perkins has been awful since he's been up, um, but he had done at AAA what the Phillies would have wanted Nick Williams to do.
0: So I he, don't think the Phillies think Nick Williams is very good.
1: I I'm with you. I don't think they do either.
0: And I think that right now, like they're at a point in time where they might be better off trying to deal hiding with Nick Williams. And I mean, because the thing is, as, as soon as you call somebody up. And he stinks. Yeah, you know any value he might have on the trade market. I'll be interested to see if they look to start dealing a little bit because they, they need pitching. Yeah. and it's the, the biggest. I don't want to say tragedy, but I can't really think of another word. The biggest tra- the biggest tragedy of this this uh rebuild thus far is that none of their young pitchers, apart from Aaron Nola, has worked out. Like Jake Thompson was yeah. just a big turd. Yeah, uh, and and you know he's still still got some time to to. Figure it out. Figure it out and turn it around. But like he was a very big part. Like, when, when,
1: when they made that Hamels deal. Yeah,
0: like a year ago, two years, before, before last season, he was a very big part of the reason why you might think they could be competitive in yes. 2018. Yes. Um, I mean, he was a, he's a top 75, top 50 prospect, had some strikeout stuff, mm-hmm. and just was not, not, just brutal. Same thing with Mark, Mark Appel, yeah. although he was always more of a lottery ticket. But still, I Tom- mean, just brutal.
1: Yeah, and Thompson struck me, and and, I th- v-
0: and Vince Velasquez, yeah. you know, like he none of the fact that none of the, neither one of those two guys has panned out leaves them with just nothing in terms of pitching up coming up.
1: Yeah, and Thompson was always an interesting case to me, maybe the most interesting of the three you mentioned, because it seemed as if everything changed from a mental and emotional yeah. standpoint with him once he got to the big leagues. He it was almost as if he had. He just looked so nervous and excited yeah, out there on just the mound. Way too amped up. Yeah, and that's not good for a pitcher. It's just not. And because you you know, the natural inclination is to think that when you get like that, you throw harder or you throw sharp. You don't. Your your pitches flatten out. Um, you get all over the place. You lose your arm slot. He went through all that. He he adopted a, a more streamlined wind up to try to get his arm slot back and get his foot landing in the right spot. And he just got deep inside his own head. and
0: He looks like Ben Stiller in Something About Mary when the guy's like, you can't go out with a loaded gun. Yeah. <laughs> mm, hair gel.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, man.
0: So Jake Thompson, the good news, the only piece of good news, is that he is t- only 23 years old. So, you know, and and you always go back to Roy Halladay. And, yes. And, you know, it takes some time sometimes. Carlos Carrasco. Yeah. Uh, you know. Baseball time is like no other time, you know, and
1: and that's the funny thing. Like Halliday had two things happen. He got his he got his head straightened out, and he had I forget. You would know this better. A pitching coach like changed his
0: arm slot, right. didn't he? And it was more of a mental thing. Yeah, really, you yeah. know, it was repeating your mechanics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did make some changes, but uh, you know, the big thing was going down to the AAA and kind of getting. He he always says it was getting his head on right. Yeah, um, Jake Thompson. I mean, just a year ago, at twenty two years old, uh, before he got called up to the Phillies at 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 Lehigh Valley he had a 2 f- 2.5 ERA 2.50 ERA uh strikeout numbers that had dipped a little bit but but did not 2.6 walks per 9 6 strikeouts yeah. per 9 130 innings very solid numbers nothing to suggest that what you were about to see because like you said you you saw a guy that just looked completely it looked like he was pitching like amidst the rising water Yeah, you know? yeah um, and now this year he's like his ERA is 6 607 um, his strikeout numbers are back up which is good he's walking a little bit more yeah. um but it's just uh yeah it's it's he he he's a big piece yeah if he's they're in trouble if he is him and franco you know if if those guys aren't even
1: if they're not even fat i mean that's th- again that gets back to what we've talked about before about how deep a hole they're in and how long it can take to dig out of it Because Let's take Franco for instance If he's not the guy Right If it turns out That they decide We've got to move on for him He's not going to be Our third baseman In the future th- it, it took you two years plus To figure that out yeah. You know and I mean
0: they don't have the option To do that Yeah Yeah they don't You just got to hope That he's Like he's So I was looking I sat down today At the coffee shop Before, before I Biked over here Biked over here How uh, was the bike ride uh, over It was over awesome here? Yeah It was awesome Beautiful day. Out there, I dusted right? a guy on a uh, <laughs> on a Vespa. <laughs> like he uh, he like roll. He blew past me all hard and everything, yeah. and then I, I caught up to him and gave him a little look. <laughs> uh, it was crazy, man. These streets, yeah. mean streets, man. They are. They Sometimes are. you just gotta you just gotta ride. You
1: gonna you gonna uh, star in the sequel to that Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie about the bike messenger who you know becomes like a hero or something? like that. Wasn't there a movie that came out a few years ago where he was a bike messenger? Um, was it a musical? It was not a musical.
0: No, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't. I, I would assume <laughs> you're a big Five Hundred Days of Summer for I you. am. I am. Um, and also, he was. He was. Explains good in, um, all the sweater vests you wear. He was good in. Um, what was that movie where they go back in time? Oh. Um, and he like blows people up with a shotgun.
1: Yeah, I don't know that one. Uh, I liked him in. Um, if you ever see Fifty Fifty, he and Seth Rogen. He uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays a guy. Plays a kid who gets cancer. And it's fifty-fifty whether he's going to live or die, and oh, it's nice. about how it's—it's really—it's—it's a, it's a pretty good movie. Um, now I'm going to see. Now I got to look up to see what this other movie was. I it was good in the Dark Knight Rise.
0: Inception. Yeah. Uh, a Looper is what I'm thinking of.
1: Okay. Uh, let me see here, Miss.
0: He was in the Muppets, huh? Was he? I'm on IMDb right now. This is my favorite thing. Then I get lost. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so. So, Iguodala, no. Reddick, no. yes. Yes. So, that would give you a, a starting five. So, Reddick would be coming off the bench. Premier about Rush. 20...
1: That's the name of the movie. Premier Rush. That was good? Uh, I don't know. but Which I know. one was the one where he's a Bike Messenger? Premier Rush. Oh, so you
0: didn't actually see it.
1: No. I had to look up the name of it. But I knew he was in a movie in which he played a Bike Messenger.
0: Uh, and you could be in the next one. What else is up uh, What else is up on your plate?
1: What else is up on my plate? Uh, well, it's, uh, we're going to go back to, to Pucks very quickly. Friday is the So, 20- what do you know about
0: Nolan Patrick? The, um, flyer, the kid the Flyers drafted number two overall.
1: I know that he was uh, very productive um, and a consensus top five pick in last year's draft. He was like four days too young to enter last year's draft. Um, but the top of last year's NHL draft was tremendous. Uh, Austin Matthews went to the Maple Leafs and made an immediate impact. Uh, Patrick Lyonet went to the Winnipeg Jets and made an immediate impact. And Patrick would have been in that top five except he was too young. So the fact that he dropped to the Flyers um, at the number two pick, I think he's a really good move. You know, by all accounts, he's a good player. I talked to his GM at his his junior team. Uh, Patrick's had two sports hernias, um, and the GM's like, that would not get – now I know he's his GM – but he said that would not give me any hesitation if I were an NHL team. He's young enough that he's going to recover from them without a problem.
0: A pitch voice. What is that? I don't know. And I don't know if they can Did I bore
1: that. you that much? <laughs> my, my 37 seconds of talking about hockey bored you that much that you had to get to baseball highlights?
0: These stupid autoplay ads. Well, I was <laughs> i was actually getting getting. Uh, Scott, Scott Kingery is off to a little bit of a start. Yeah, I know you're okay. a big Scott Kingery guy. I am. Um, he hit two home runs yeah. on Tuesday night. Uh, Two for five with two home runs.
1: And he laid his hands on an ill child and healed her, apparently.
0: I guess. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if this town's ready for the Scott Kingery hype.
1: Uh, He comes out and goes 0 for 4 in his first game. It's just going to be awful. Just going to be awful. Um, But, yeah, the Flyers lucked out. And I think Patrick will be a pretty good player. Um, And what was he going to say? Oh, Friday is the 25th anniversary of the Eric Lindros trade. So I'm trying to track down... uh, Russ Farwell, who was the Flyers GM at the time of the trade.
0: What's he up to these days? He is
1: a general Over manager. Us. He is a general manager and owner of a team in the Western Hockey League in the junior level, major junior. Uh it's in Seattle, I believe. So I'm hoping he calls me back.
0: The um and then let's see, what else what else is going down on the farm here? Dylan Cousins, one for four. Yeah. Just a just a bleak 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 summer. It
1: is. It is. I mean it, the Sixers hype is great. The Sixers hype is fine, you know. I mean, obviously, people are waiting for the Eagles. I guess. I mean, this is the one time of the year where we don't really think about them, which is okay with me. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, but that'll that'll crank back up soon enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, again, we we've talked about this. When you have a bad baseball team, the summer just gets blah. Again, with you, you drowning me out. Uh, I'm telling
0: you, man. The internet, like, I'm we, the internet's broken. I you just can't do anything anymore without being bombarded. <laughs> no. Um I'm trying to so apparently Paul George to the to the Celtics is what oh everyone's saying. Not, wow. not it hasn't been I'm just saying that's the, that's the uh the assumption.
1: I don't believe it until Woj reports it.
0: The conventional wisdom is that the Celtics are going to make a run at Paul George, it would seem. Um that would what would that do for the balance of power in the East?
1: That would uh depends on what they're giving up. Right? I mean are they giving up draft picks or are they giving up like this Avery is what Bradley? I'm trying to
0: figure out, but I keep these autoplay ads <laughs> keep on uh
1: you know, are they giving up, you know, um terrific well not terrific, but essential players um you know, who they Celtics, might here
0: we go. So June twenty seventh, is that today? Uh yeah. No, today's the twenty eighth. Is today
1: the twenty eighth? So me. late yesterday afternoon
0: Woj, Woj reported that the Celtics are pursuing an aggressive plan that would include signing Gordon Hayward, whom I love, mm-hmm. and acquiring Paul George in a trade. Okay. But that would make them good. That would make them good. But uh, the last... The Celtics and Pacers were said to be involved in serious talks involving George on draft night before those discussions stalled. Um, I think... It would just seem, it's, it's kind of like the Jay-Z Reddick thing where it almost has to happen. Because, yeah. Because, I mean, the Pacers have to trade Paul George. Yeah, of course. And I'm not sure who else, like, Cleveland is just not, I, I don't see any way that, like, Kevin Love just doesn't have that much value. No, no. one's giving up a. No
1: one's giving up anything to get Kevin Love. It's amazing.
0: And if Hayward chooses Utah or Miami, the Celtics may look to substitute Clippers big man Blake Griffin. Mm. Which, hmm. I don't know how much sense that makes. I don't know either. But I think Gordon Hayward. I mean, unless he hate, unless he and Brad Stevens secretly hate each other. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, Blake. I would just think that he he, he and Horford would kind of be redundant, wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't they? Yeah. I mean, but he's not a great.
1: Horf- Horford's a better all around player. Like, right. He just is plays better defense, better outside shooter. Um, you know, just a, a more solid player. I would think.
0: Who on that team? Like, like, would would Blake Griffin guard? Like, who would guard LeBron? Well,
1: no team has a guy. That's
0: why run. they need Paul George. Yeah. Um, not that Paul George can, not that anybody can guard LeBron, but I think that's one of the big, I mean, you're assembling your team at this point to try to give yourself the best possible chance against the Cavaliers you, in the seven-game series. One would think. And
1: and Paul George gives you that. And maybe Gordon Hayward to an extent. You know, do you put him on LeBron? I, I,
0: hmm. I mean, Paul George, I, I would think Paul George would guard LeBron. I would think uh, so, too. Hayward be, would be, because you, you're then, not only do you have to – you have to slow LeBron down enough and assemble an offense capable of outscoring them. Yes. So I think that works. Uh, I think that would be a pretty sick team. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And how would that team stack up against the Sixers in a couple of years? That's the question.
1: That's hard to say.
0: You would have, let's see, Isaiah Thomas, say, at the one. Mm-hmm. And you would have Paul George at the uh Three or four. Three or four. Let's, Go- put him, let's put him in at
1: three. All right. Gordon Haywood. Hayward?
0: Well, I guess Gordon Hayward would be your three, right? Yeah. George is your George, four. George is your four.
1: Who's your two? Marcus Smart? Well, Avery Bradley, right? Oh, Avery Bradley. Okay. You're not giving him up in the uh,
0: trade? I wouldn't think that they would want to. Okay. Um, well, let's see. I mean, the, the, the Celtics are stacked. They could give up. They could give up. They could give up quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, they have a... They, like, that's a, as good of a team as Jalen Brown, maybe. Who right. knows?
1: You know, that sort of thing.
0: That's as good of a team as you can assemble um, the way they've assembled it. Yeah. So you would have, and then obviously you would have Horford at the five. So if the Sixers, so you would have Tom Isaiah Thomas against Markel Fultz. Mm-hmm. You would have, see, I I, I keep, so Simmons, it would be Simmons-George then, I guess, Yeah, right? I would think so, yeah. And then it would be Covington Hayward,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then Horford and Embiid,
1: mm-hmm. and then whoever your two guard is, whether it's Bayless
0: or Reddick. Let's, say, let's or say Bayless for now. Whoever. So you have Thomas on Fultz. Advantage Thomas, right? Yes. Obviously, for
1: the foreseeable future, yes.
0: Although not according to these, not according to a lot of Sixers fans that these guys are getting a little. Uh, I love I I it's, love the Sixers an- team. Like You can It's getting to the point where you can't. Like when I said last night on Twitter, when I was responding to your column mm-hmm. and said like the Bucks are awesome, the Bucks are yeah. Like you would have thought I said the Sixers stink. <laughs> it was just like a, a a deluge yes of arguments about yes. uh, well <laughs> like Sixers they're getting to that like they're so unhinged they're, they're getting to that point where they're they not are. even like speaking in syllables they are
1: the <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's and and it, what's interesting to follow I mean I like Spike Eskin a lot um, but he he toes the line. Between like the genuine like fanhood,
0: yeah, but he's a showman too. Yeah, that, that's my point is that he's I like think, a tallie a little bit. Yeah,
1: a little bit. You know, he's constantly trolling Bill Simmons about Brad right. Stevens and that sort of thing. And I think some people miss the distinction there. Right. That, you know, he's not s- that serious all the time. He's like, created
0: a monster. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> like literally, li- then you get like sucked into these arguments where you're not like a person's arguing against something you're not even saying. Right. You're like, so like Elliot True Parks. <laughs> He, uh <laughs> I saw this this morning because I finally went to bed because I was just like I can't deal with you people. <laughs> and he 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 he, bet, he wanted to bet me that the Sixers make the Eastern Conference Finals before the Bucks. I was like, no, I like I yeah. don't believe like I would bet on the Sixers too. I I wasn't never saying that. Yeah, that the Bucks. Are, if that's not the question. Yeah. My my point is I think the Bucks. If you add a superstar to them, mm-hmm. I think they could make a legitimate run. Run. Yeah. And like I don't. Uh, I don't understand what's so controversial about saying that. No, you know? I don't either. I, I th- it's like I, we've it's there's this binary. It's just like this binary, yes. and we've gotten to the point where like yeah, like if you say anything, if you say like anything good about the Cowboys, you know, it's yeah, you're I've, you're detracting from we, the we, Eagles.
1: I I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast. It's something I know I've talked about with other people, which is that the sense that more and more through social media and and look, the rise of bloggers and people who cover sports and other topics independently, on the whole, to me is terrific. But one of the drawbacks I find is that there comes with it, particularly in the sports end of things, a presumption that if you write about a team uh, in a particular, you know, in a given market, mm-hmm. you support or are a fan of that particular team, and that every all your analysis comes through that prism. And that's not always the case, and it's certainly not the case, you know, in a place like the Inquirer, the Daily News, or Philly dot com, like. You know, th- there's a sense I feel like, like if you were to criticize the Eagles, like you know, last year or the year before, when when one of us might defend Sam Bradford, let's say, I felt like the presumption always was like you're only doing that to generate clicks because how possibly could you defend Sam Bradford for anything? Right, exactly. You know, for anything, he's terrible. Don't you want the Eagles to win? You want Carson Wentz to be better, you know, to be great and be better. And and why doesn't Sam Bradford get on board when? if you take a step back and you know take your fan goggles off you know you might come to a different conclusion that sometimes in fact quite frequently these teams make mistakes or do the wrong thing or purposefully do the wrong thing to cover their own rear <laughs> ends and you have to be able to say that and articulate
0: that but it's just, like people are so like the whole thing about the process and it's the irony of it like the, the process is is essentially like we're not going to succumb to human nature because yes. human nature is to like ignore the long term and like mm-hmm. make everything as good as it can right away right we're, we're, like now pe- it's almost like the process people are like they want to they're done with the process yeah so, like, oh, the process <laughs> is over like let's sign everybody you yeah. Yeah. like like you know the, this is the team mm-hmm. like i was talking to the, like they don't want like i like you're throwing out you know per- per- perspective trade scenarios oh i don't want to trade Covenant's a great player i don't want to trade them <laughs> Like well, that's not the way it works. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it, the question is, is he as good as you can get at that slot? That's right. the whole thing about the process. Like you can't, like, like so. So, case in point, let's look at Celtics. Like Celtics aren't going anywhere. Right. So if you want to, if you want to be the team that every, the process is supposed to result in, you need to beat the Celtics. Right. Well, let's go, man. You know, let's go, let's run it down. Isaiah Thomas versus Markelle Fultz. Advantage Isaiah Thomas. Avery Bradley versus. Uh, I keep calling him Skip Bayless. (laughs) Jared Bayless. Advantage. Avery Bradley, (laughs) right? Uh, Advantage over Skip Bayless, too. Gordon Hayward versus Robert Covington.
1: Advantage Gordon Hayward.
0: Okay. Now, Paul George over Ben Simmons. Okay, so you can maybe make the argument that, like, all right, Ben Simmons has more upside than Paul George. You can definitely make that argument.
1: Sure. But... Not right now. Not right now.
0: (laughs) And then, obviously, Horford and Bede. Mm -hmm. But... You still are. You're still losing the man to man matchup yes. at three of those positions. You that's know, right. and th- like that's not that's a big thing in the NBA. It is. You know, and
1: and of course it. You know, that's.
0: So the question is, yeah, Robert Covington is a nice player, but guess what? He's going to be matching up against Gordon Hayward, and as good of a defender mm-hmm. as he is, Gordon Hayward's a pretty nice offensive player. Yes, and if you're in the minus on those points, those points have to be made up somewhere. And can 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 Joel Embiid make up those points against Horford? And can Ben Simmons make up those points against Paul George? It's just basic math.
1: Yeah. Um and, and I do think that But even look at the Bucks.
0: Like Giannis versus Simmons. Like people are this is where people are getting really detached from reality. Because yeah. like I had Elliot talking to me last night about how he doesn't think Giannis is like yeah, you know, he might not be a superstar, superstar. Dude, but dude, guess what? If you're expecting Ben Simmons, if if his floor is to be above As, Giannis, yeah. <laughs> like that's that's not realistic. it's not. It's not it's taking not. it's not it's not a realistic accounting of the probabilities happen, of life. Yes. Right.
1: It might happen. But to count on that happening, that's you, you penciled
0: in like, ah oh, well we got Simmons. Yeah. Like Greek freak, done. You yeah. Know? <laughs> okay.
1: You wrote I think you wrote a column about this last year about how Philadelphia sports fans are closet romantics. Yeah. And I think this gets to the heart of it. Like they want to believe the absolute best possible scenario will play out for their team all oh. the time. Like you know, the Flyers will add Nolan Patrick and Oscar Lindblom, and that will lead to a spike in right. goal scoring, and that, you know, they'll lead them to the Stanley Cup, or Carson Wentz will be the second coming of Tom Brady in his second season, right. and that will overcome the fact that they don't have any cornerbacks on their
0: roster. But then the problem is, so the, and then this is where Philadelphia gets get, talks themselves into the being the, the town everybody hates, because then if that person doesn't live up to those expectations, then they all of a sudden it's yeah. like, Wah! yeah. <laughs> it's like the problem is you're setting yourself up right. to get angry at these guys, right? You know, because they can't possibly reach the expectations exactly. that you have for them, right? You know, like Scott Kingery again. Like, like I know you like him, but if he like if he comes up and he's not Chase Utley, people have already talked themselves into thinking he's Chase Utley. Sure. You know?
1: Yeah, that's true. I think it. I think it warps the way we look at certain players who were here a long time. For instance. Pat Burrell, just to take a random example, you know, is a number one right. overall pick in the Major League Baseball draft. Pat Burrell, with the really with the exception of the 03 season when he was when he hit 203, was an absolutely solid linchpin, middle of the order guy who a team is fortunate to draft. Like he was what a number one pick really is kind of supposed to be. Like you're supposed to get a guy if you draft, if you're trying to get a middle of the order guy out of a draft, if you're a major league baseball team, Pat Burrell was that guy, mm. and there should be nobody who comes away from Pat Burrell's career with the Phillies saying anything other than that was a good draft pick that worked out as well as it, you know, you could reasonably hope for, um, because not every number one pick is going to be Bryce Harper, and he wasn't anywhere close to a complete bust. Yet Burl, throughout his time here, I feel like maybe you feel differently, always was kind of like there was this hedging about him, about, yeah, but he's just Pat Burl, Right. You know? Did he ever lead the league in home runs? Did he ever lead the league in RBIs? He had that lousy year that one time, you know, where he didn't hit, you know. And good for him that he never complained about it, but he still sucked that one year. It's like he hit, like, close to 300 home runs in his career with the Phillies and was, you know, in the middle of the order hitter on a World Series team. You should be, you know, take that and go home and be happy.
0: It's like the same thing with Jason Worth. Yeah, like talk to people now, and people forget how good Jason Worth yes. was. Yes, you know, it's 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 hilarious. Yeah, because yeah, whatever. Um, so the box, like same same type of thing. So so like Parker, if Parker's your three man or mm-hmm. your two man, whatever. Like you have Chris Middleton versus Jared Bayless, and then Jabari Parker versus Robert Covington. You mm-hmm. know, like those are the kinds of matchups that you need to improve. Right, right, that's right, and. I don't know. I don't... I, who's like, playing? maybe Sarge gets
1: better. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe he becomes that much of a weapon.
0: Yeah, like... You know, off the again, bench. But like again, like, Sarge... The, people are getting the point... It's a great, yeah. great, great name to bring up because people are getting a little over the top of Sarge, too. Where he, mm. Again, he's a nice player, but at this point, he's a sixth man. Yeah. You know? Um, he definitely has room to improve. If mm-hmm. he can ever develop a consistent three-point shot, you know, that would be... Right. ...a boon for the Sixers. But people are... Well, what about Sarge? Like, okay, what about him? Yeah, You know, like... Yeah,
1: I like, can believe. You can, yeah, the, the, the you know what it is. People see the extreme example and they presume that that is the commonplace example. People see Manu Ginobili right getting drafted fifty seventh overall by the Spurs in nineteen ninety nine, spending a couple more years over in you know Europe and in Argentina, Argentina, coming over here, becoming a Hall of Fame player, and presume well that's going to be great when Sarge does that too. Or hey, Sarge is further along in his first year than Dirk Nowitzki was in his first year, so boy, it'll be great when Sarge becomes Dirk. And it right. doesn't work that way. Like those guys are the extreme examples of excellence in those situations, in those scenarios. And if you expect that or hope, a, wish upon a star for that, you, you're going to get disappointed. You just are, and you have to. you, you, you just kind of have to say to yourself, if we get X, that's what we should reasonably expect, and anything beyond that is gravy. Is is you know beyond our expectation.
0: I think if Embiid stays healthy this year, this could be a pl- it. Could be a playoff team. I think it's possible. Yeah. But but to 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 expect that as your baseline is not necessarily a realistic view of right. of how the NBA works. Right. You know, I mean, it takes some time. Again, like Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook won twenty three games their first year yeah. playing together. You know.
1: Yeah. These guys are really, really young, really young. When was the last time a really, really young NBA team, you know, made any kind of headway? Right. It was. It maybe Durant and Westbrook, and they were, as you said, two, three years in together.
0: Right. Even so, Kyrie Irving a little. I mean, I mean, let me strike that from the record. That's not. That's not a good example. But it, it takes. It takes at least a year usually yeah. to. To and you hear it. In, you hear it. Like it colangelo and brown are, are the kind of the voices of reason when you listen to them talk because they're constantly like yeah all right pump the break yeah you calm know, down. Like, like you had the like one of the first questions of that press conference after they traded for fultz was like are you guys gonna be more aggressive now for agency this year well that's like complete again that's completely ignoring the quote-unquote the process right like the process is you've got Six or seven positions on a basketball right. court. The, that determines, the
1: pro, the antithesis of the process is don't gum up the works right. with big money for a guy who satisfies a need right now, but the you whole, know the, you got to keep forever.
0: Like again, you've got the whole notion is you have one shot at each of those six or seven spots on a basketball roster mm-hmm. to maximize the production you get out of that spot. Right, and the way the contract situation in the NBA is is is. Once you make your decision on one of those spots, you've essentially decided it for four years. Yes. So the question isn't, in a vacuum, is Robert Covington a nice player? It's, is he a better three-man than Jabari Parker mm-hmm. or Chris Middleton or, or uh, Gordon Hayward or right. whoever he's going to have to be competing against for you to get right. to the title game? Jimmy Butler. Right. You know? Um Oh well, I guess they're in the they're in the Western in the Conference. West. But that that's the whole point. It's it's a whole goal it's it's the notion of what goalposts are we talking mm-hmm. about? And I I've always approached I always evaluate things on the goalpost of are you know to be a contender. Mm-hmm. Not to be a playoff team, not to be like are you right. this is everything that I say is comparing the current state of things with what a team needs to be. To be Do a contender, a which is why chance at a Like I've never been a big Freddy Galvis guy because yeah, whatever. He's a nice player, a nice defender, but if you can't get on base, you can't you can't be in in a playoff lineup right. to me. You right. know, maybe you can hit eighth. Mm-hmm. Um But same thing with with you know Michael Franco, where hopefully he's at the very least a seven hole hitter. But like right now, he's not even a seven hole right. hitter on a playoff team. Like right. Aaron Nola, I always catch grief for saying Aaron Nola like. Would be a four, number four starter on a playoff rotation, but look at these playoff rotations. Yeah. You're talking about, you know, Chris Sale, David Price, yeah, Rick Porcello. You know, yeah. guess what? Clayton Kershaw. Guess what? Aaron Nola yeah. a number four starter in that rotation. Yeah. Uh, Max Scherzer, Stephen Strasburg. Uh, who else? Is, I don't even know who's pitching for them. Gio now. Gonzalez. Gio Gonzalo, yeah, he kind of stinks right now. But um, I was going to say Jordan Zimmermann, but he's gone. But on any of those Nationals rotations, he would be a number four starter right. from over the past few years. Right. So like that's what the, that that's what you're that should be where your focus is and that was the whole notion of the process where you know like we're going to you know we need to maximize each one of these roster spots and I would say right now they have w- between Fultz, Simmons, and Embiid they have three they have three three of those spots like locked in leave th- puts them in a very good position to have huge surpluses mm-hmm. versus the competition right at those spots but that doesn't mean you should just throw away those other two spots right. and you know plug in whoever the best available player is. You should be looking two or three years down the road, like who who is our optimal guy? Mm-hmm. When are we going to push our chips in and make our run? Mm-hmm. You know?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's you know that that's certainly the way Hinky thought about it. Um, which is why I always disagree with those people. Oh, so and so he never would have made that trade for Folts. He never would have made the big deal. Like it wasn't about that. It was waiting for the right time to do it. And you know this is it's interesting i'm i'm hoping to be able to write about this uh, later this week when i talked to russ farwell the guy who made the eric lindros trade when he was the flyers gm but i was doing some research and this is something right up your alley and right up something we've talked about on this podcast before farwell gave an interview a few years ago about the lindros trade where he pointed out that part of the reason part of the impetus for the trade was that the flyers had drafted peter forsberg and everybody knew forsberg was going to be a terrific player they knew it. They got him with the sixth pick of the draft. He was dominating in Sweden. But Forsberg and his agent told the Flyers, we feel like Peter needs one more year in Sweden. He just he wants to, he needs to brush up on his game, needs to get a little bit stronger, and then he'll be ready for the NHL. Not like, I don't want to play for the Flyers, nothing like that. Just give me one more year in Sweden, and then I'll be ready to go. And the Flyers heard that and said, we cannot accept that. We can't wait a year for our presumptive franchise player to get here because we've missed the playoffs the last two years we need to get somebody here now we think we can get Lindros and so we're going to give up the farm to go including Forsberg to go get him and so they did now think about that like in 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 a vacuum Lindros was the more productive player than Forsberg over his career averaged more points per game you know whatever you want to say and You know, Forsberg played on better teams for most of his career in Colorado. But the point is that that's all it took. It was, we can't wait one year for this guy who we drafted, who we know is going to be good, and who will be able to insert into the lineup with all these other guys who we already have, who we're now going to give up to get Eric Lindros. And it's that kind of thinking that I think Philadelphia – sports fans in general in some ways really like because it's the whole they're going for it and they're taking a chance
0: yeah, it's the alshon jeffrey the right the you know
1: but it's the it's that kind of thinking that i would argue more often than not leads to a team not achieving the goals it wants to achieve
0: yeah it's like their whole it's it's like you want to your goal shouldn't be to suspend this belief for a season right. it should be like Is this objectively? Let's objectively get a great team in here.
1: Yeah. And it wasn't about that. It was like, we've missed the playoffs the last three years. We are the Flyers. We don't do that. So, therefore, we've got to trade Peter Forsberg to make this deal happen to get Eric Lindros. And again, that's nothing against Lindros. And that's not to say that if, you know, he hadn't suffered concussions, things might not have turned out differently with him and the Flyers. I'm just saying that that's the wrong reason to make that kind of trade. Like, if you know you have a potentially great player. And all you got to do is wait one year for him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Wait the one year, generally speaking.
0: Yeah. See, like I think, and again, I'm not a huge hockey guy, mm-hmm. but the the I loved Lindros and that whole yeah. team. Like that got me into hockey. Mm-hmm. But then like it was almost what happened after that when they like to me the the the, the run of sadness began, and I realized they went to the you know the finals, the finals. Since then, but like trading away like Yanni Dinama mm-hmm. and uh, Zubris, yeah, and like it's almost like they just like panicked yes you know yeah. and a lot of that had to do with Lindros like no one expected Lindros to you know
1: have the concussions almost and... die on the ice yeah <laughs>
0: you know yeah and so that kind of changed the long term planning a bit but it was almost like like you had that one I forget if it was a playoff, ser- playoff series or not but you had a couple break break guys coming up in uh you know Nina Zubris mm-hmm. yeah and oh, then they, all were on, they were on that 97 team then all of a sudden they just like gotta like, go like ah we gotta you know Chris Gratton, yeah, under you know Dagg, yeah, you know, we need a
1: uh, we, we need to get veterans in here now to because we are, we're only going to have Lindros for so long,
0: and, and they've done that twice now, yeah, with, and and I get that there were some with the whole Mike Richards thing, there was there was some ancillary yeah. off, off the ice kind of stuff, but it, it, it's a, a fly, like you said the fly, the Flyers myopia would seem to be the Flyers specialty yep. leading up until yep. now, where yeah. and it's a shame because.
1: The shame of it is that their fans are so loyal. Like, they always cite that. They always cite the demands of the fan base. Mm. But their fans are so loyal that I think most of them would have put up with it and, you know, I don't know if not understood it, but they would have kept showing up at games and they would have kept
0: watching. Like, I think this is why Danny Ainge is so good because it's not an either-or thing. Like, you don't have to stink while you're building. You just have to be smart while Mm. you're building, you know? Like, the Flyers were almost, from what I remember, again, completely amateur opinion, but they were at a point where... They 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 were still competitive. Like they would have been competitive. Mm-hmm. Um you know, just like build smartly from yeah. there on out. You know, yeah. like take a ten year look. It was the same thing with the Phillies where, you know, they got so caught up yes. in like like I mean we, the Phillies were just dumb. They were. They were. Um uh, I mean We've like, got these
1: go- guys and we've got to just pour everything into right now. But
0: not only that like they set it up where like they they instead of spending, you know, fifteen million dollars in the off season on a right handed bat to play in the corner outfield, they went into a season with John Mayberry and Ben, you know Francisco. Ben Francisco as their corner outfielder, and then had to panic and trade a bunch of players away for you know Hunter Pence, right? And now Domingo Santana is tearing it up in Milwaukee, and mm-hmm. it just was not. But again, it was like instead of looking three steps down the road, they were looking at the next step. Yeah, and you got to be like a, you got to be a two or three step thinker when you're when you're a general manager, and I think that's what that's why Hink. That's the process. Yes, is is you know there is never an obvious decision. Because you're always weighing. There's never one decision. Every right. decision is a decision about this year compared with five years from mm. now. You know? And I think hin- people could, could argue that Hinky was too focused, g- gave too, lent too much, uh aired er- too much on the side of five years from now rather mm. than the here and now. Um but I think what he realized is like people are stupid and they don't have a lot of patience for yeah. five years from now. There's a reason why there's That's a right. reason why uh, Danny Ainge is is a good general manager. Yeah. you know, it's because everybody else is a bad one, and and right. human nature is kind of to prioritize the right. You know, yeah, like he just doesn't. He, he drafts who he draft. I, I like I respect Danny Ainge a lot. I do know? too. I um, do too. And if it all ends up, it it certainly feels as if it's all been building up to this moment mm-hmm. where they sign Gordon Hayward, trade for Paul George, and then can just like fire away Here we draft go. picks. Yeah, you know. Yep. So anyway. I'm going to be out of town next week. Okay, going to the Poconos. Not riding my bike up there. <laughs>
1: That'd be a hell of Will well ride. you
0: be? Uh, will you be podcasting in my? Uh, I'll in figure my it absence?
1: out. I'll figure it out. I'll see if uh, our former producer and friend Jonathan Tannenwald will assist me with this.
0: You guys can talk hockey or something or soccer.
1: We're not talking soccer. I'm not talking any soccer.
0: Uh, I I saw that NBC has a big uh, uh, English Premier League package that they're I've, like Jonathan. I la
1: la 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 la, fingers in the ears. La la la.
0: I just picture Jonathan doing cartwheels down. Yes. Down the center of the newsroom. <laughs> but by the time we get back, by the time I get back, it will be like right around my birthday, July sixteenth. Happy birthday. Hint, hint. I'll be. I will uh, awaiting my package.
1: No problem. I'll get your shirt from Banana but Republic. But then it, it'll
0: be uh, it'll be like ten days until Eagles training camp it starts. It will. That's fever pitch, man. It's it's amazing how fast this summer has gone. It is. It is. It went really
1: fast. I moved, so like that occupied most of the most of.
0: So know, are you in and June. are you in and? We are
1: in, we are in. We still have boxes is around your wife, the house.
0: Are you, Is your wife still nesting? Nesting.
1: Uh, she's unpacking as we go. And
0: or are you both nesting?
1: <laughs> we are not nesting. We are we are unpacking the house and getting the kids used to having a backyard and. The house is a nest. I know. Um, getting the kids used to having a backyard and. Do they, they like it? They love it. They absolutely love it.
0: How big is the backyard? Very big. Like, uh, can you throw a football in it?
1: Yes. Nice. Yes.
0: Have you been doing that?
1: Not yet. The boys aren't really old enough to throw footballs. So we go out and we play um, soccer. We play inflatable.
0: Nice. Are they in leagues? soccer. How old no. are they?
1: Uh, six and almost three. Okay. So
0: Cool. Well, anyway, see, right. you, next, see you next whenever. Later.